0: Through to verse 25 but here he's talking about that same middle stage but referring to life itself on this planet between what was once good creation was good we'll look at that in a moment then this moment now where we and creation are groaning It's like, are we there yet this isn't right and we're getting frustrated and eventually heading towards something that will be ultimately glorious life is like that it's a place that is uncomfortable It can make us tired, it can leave us frustrated and yearning for release, but it's because we're in that dark valley between the mountain peaks of what was good and what will be glorious. So let's just read from verse 18 just down to verse 25, and we'll look at each of those three kind of stages of life in this universe, so to speak. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Lord, as you express through your word here about hope when we are in the darkness, when we are lost and we are yearning for more, Lord, we thank you that there is a hope that we discover in these words that actually is concrete, is solid, is something we can cling to and it's found in you. So, Lord, just help us over the next 20 or 30 minutes just to really grab a, a fresh revelation, a fresh impression of the wonderful hope we have in Jesus, the security we have in you as we walk through this thing we call life. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let's look at the good just briefly. And then we'll look at the groaning and the glory. The good. In the beginning, look in Genesis 1-2, chapter the Bible says that all things were created by design, not by accident. And it was God outside of time and space, intentionally bringing the universe into existence in order to display his glory and to create a growing human family to share it with. That's why we're here. And... It expresses how God he effectively brought chaos into order and made something that was not just good, but after He created mankind, He's declared as very good. It's beautiful order out of chaos that He brought. In the beginning, there was no sin, there was no death. And when I say death, I'm talking about disconnection or alienation from God. There was none of that. It's complete harmony with God. There was death in terms of leaves and seeds falling to the ground to create new life. That that kind of life cycle of plants. And there was a form of death. Physically, in that respect, but for, as far as humanity were concerned, in terms of the spiritual dimension, there was no death, no alienation. There was complete harmony with God. Creation was beautiful. Creation was untainted, unmarred, utter perfection. Just imagine this world with its, with its mountains and its waterfalls and its forests and its dolphins and eagles and lions. Imagine all that, but with no violence, with no sickness, with no just jarring disorder. Just imagine what this planet must have been like once. It's just utter tranquility, a complete soul-enriching beauty. It was very good. There was God and man in utter harmony. And there was also man and nature in utter harmony. Nature was in harmony with itself. Even today we still see, we look at it in a minute, there's still violence in nature even then there was no violence in nature at all everything was in utter harmony it's because however of our own undoing where we decided we knew better that caused the problem see we shunned God's better way and we took it upon ourselves to become our own rulers that's what happened when we decided we're not going to submit to your rule we're going to do what we think is best for us we wanted to become our own rulers we decided that being ruled was not good enough and we wanted more immediately as a result perfect God had to dispense perfect justice he had to do something about that he couldn't stand back and go oh well fill your boots he had to do something about that because he's good because he's perfect and so where once God had brought chaos into perfect order we unraveled that we brought chaos back into the order we brought an unruliness in that had huge consequences and we are now living in the wreckage of it we are living the consequences of our actions and we are living in the consequences of God's perfect judgment over us as a result and that's why we are now in the groaning that's why what was good became not good for a while and it's because of our fault you see in verse 20 it describes it as for the creation was subjected to futility it's an interesting word that word futility it means frustration it's a similar word to what's used in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament where you've got King Solomon, the wisest man on this planet. He always, It's like a thought experiment. He wrote, what would life be like without God? That's what he's writing. He said, let's look at all the great things in life and what would it be like if God wasn't in, in the mix? He writes this whole experiment. By the end of it, it's like utterly meaningless. It's vanity. It's pointless. There's a frustration and a futility in trying to live like that, live without God. And the same here. He's talking about creation is alienated because of what happened right at the beginning. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, the fall when we went our own way and took earth that was under our rule, under our domain, we took our little kingdom with us. We were meant to be in harmony with nature and everything suddenly got jarred because of our decisions. And it's effectively, you want to know what, it's, like, it's almost like Solomon was saying in, in Ecclesiastes, you want to know what life like, is like without God? Here's a taste. And effectively, the, the world we live in now There's an alienation and a jarring that's come in. It's like, you want to know what life without God is really like? Here's a taste, we're in it now. This is what it's like. And so that's why earth is groaning. Creation is groaning because it's yearning for better because it knows it's designed for something more and it's not getting it. And we can sense that ourselves. Verse 22, He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And then continues, verse 23, But it's not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, God's own people, who are secured by Holy Spirit. So we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of the sons, which I'll look at in a minute. It's just saying that we can, we can sense this groaning, we can feel it, we can all put our hands up, we know those moments, we, just, we see what we see on TV, and we're just like, ah, we know what's going on in our families, or even in our own hearts. We see it in the pain and in the struggle, in the wars between nations, the wars between families, and so on and so forth. Suffering, in general, is a very difficult and a very sensitive subject, and yet it's a universal topic of conversation because it affects every single one of us. And thankfully, thank God, the Bible is very, very honest about it. The Bible doesn't whitewash it. The Bible doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. Or the Bible doesn't go, oh yeah, well, never mind. Looking up, yeah everything's going to be okay, it doesn't whitewash it, it deals with it, face on. And I love that, because it's something that we all experience, it's something we all hate, we do. And there's a reason why we hate it, it's because it's not right. And the reason it's not right is because there is a right alternative that we're not getting. We know it, it echoes of something we're not getting, does that make sense? Is it C.S. Lewis describes, you know something's crooked, because you know what, Yeah, because something's crooked and you know it's not right, it means there must be a straight. For it. Yeah? And it's the same here. There's something not right here, which means there is a right alternative that we're not achieving it, that we're not seeing. And that's what we're groaning for, that's what we're waiting for. And Suffering is, a very, like I say, it's a very difficult subject and there's no pithy soundbite that can make you go, oh, as soon as you put it like that, it's all right then, I won't mind. No, because we know there's something not right about it and we're waiting for the day when it will be. Let's go back to verse 20 just for a moment, just to talk about why creation is groaning as much as we are as well. Verse 20, For the creation was subjected to futility, this frustration of you know, what it's not getting anymore, that it's, 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 that it's intended for. But it's not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. There was a decision involved. It's because earth and creation, as well as humanity, is under judgment. When we went our own way, we are under judgment. But the thing is, at the time, creation was under man's rule as well. God gave us, right at the beginning of Genesis, God gave uh, creation to man to have dominion over it, to work it, to keep it, to care for it, to steward it. became our own kind of kingdom under his care. You know, here, here about back in the olden days, when the king was absent, he was away at war, he'd leave the country in, in the care of a steward. It's the same principle. We get to steward earth, and it's our responsibility. And so when man declared himself king, he took his mini kingdom with him. There's a, there's a spiritual connection with nature that suddenly, as a result of our actions, nature has been born into this frustration as much as we have as well. Verse 21, Paul describes it in another way. The uh, second half, about being set free from its bondage to decay. There's a, there's a decay going on in our creation around us, in the world around us, isn't there? There's a, there's a disorder, there's a, a disease at work. It's under the surface and it's everywhere we look. There's a, when we look at uh, our alienation, our disconnection from God, nature also became alienated and suddenly death is everywhere we look. There's, you know, the scientists, um, when they look into the laws of thermodynamics, suddenly it's it's just, they're observing the laws of what the regular patterns that happen constantly throughout the universe. And these laws basically dictate that everything is set to decay. The universe is expanding and as it's expanding it's getting colder and eventually it's, is life expectancy is limited. The universe will get ultimately so cold it can't sustain life anymore. That's, that's at what's at work in our universe right now as it currently stands. See, mountains get worn down to pebbles by rivers and by winds. This is over many thousands of years, things get worn away. There's a decay. It's not the opposite. It's all about decay. The sun and the stars have their own life expectancy. The sun's going to burn out one day. It's there in everything. We've got our own physical expiry date. It's there and we can't avoid it. And So this frustration is there, this, this death is there and it's an unavoidable force in this existence of ours and we see it everywhere and so we can see this groaning. We can sense this groaning on our TV. We can see it in the lives of people around us. We can see it in our own lives. We see it in the hurricanes that destroy homes. It's there in nature as much as just in people's dynamics. It's in nature as well. See you know, the great tsunami that we saw in Southeast Asia. It's there. We see it in the volcanoes that spew ash and lava and cause not just disorder but destruction as well. We see it in, I saw it in my best friend dying at the age of 29 in a tragic car accident. It's just like there's that groaning. We were just talking the other day about one of Jenny's friends. She was murdered. She was lured up to London for a job interview. It was all in the press 20-odd years, 30 years ago. And she got murdered. Suddenly it's just there's a groaning there. It's just like this is not right. We see it at the moment. I'm not sure if you're aware but... In Ireland, there's a horrendous number of families that are homeless, being turned out on the streets and they're having to sleep in police um, waiting rooms. There's photos of kids in their school uniform lying across the seats in waiting rooms because they've got nowhere to live. Just 48 families just earlier this month currently. The numbers keep going up every month in Ireland. It's a problem. And there's that groaning. It's like, this isn't right. This isn't right. We see it in the... People who are manipulated or controlled or beaten by their partners or spouses. We see it in these young men that are so regularly on the news dying to knife crime. It's not right. We see it in these young girls who buy into the, the lies that looking a certain way is everything. It's not right and it just eats you up. It's, it's a decay that's underneath the surface everywhere. We, we sense this groaning in the amount of times we hear the word cancer. Straight away it just gets it. It's, like, it's that groaning. This is not right. But there is hope. There is hope. Paul says, verse 20. Let's read that verse again. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Hope. Paul's harking back to that word he used in chapter 5 when we looked at, he talks about hope. It's a, it's a sure and certain thing that we can cling to. The thing about the word hope is definition has changed over the years in our English language. You look it up in the dictionary now, the word hope is a wishful thinking. It's a, a hope it works out for the best. A hope that'll happen. A hope it'll be okay. That's all the word hope means now. It's not something you can actually grasp. It's just like, hope so. It's just hoping for better. But that's not what the word used to mean in the English language. In the old English, the original definition of the word hope was a sure and certain concrete fact that will happen in the future. My hope is that. My hope is that will happen. My hope is clinging to that. I know it's going to happen. There's my hope. It's suddenly concrete. And we've lost that definition. It, even in the dictionaries, it's changed now. We've lost what its original meaning was and the Bible's original meaning of the word hope is exactly the same it's concrete it's not wishy-washy it's not hoping for the best it's a sure and certain confidence in a promise that will come true and that's what Paul's talking about here we're hoping in something we can place our confidence in I had, um, I had to have a wisdom tooth extracted a couple of weeks ago and it, it completely decayed, half of it was missing, every time food got in there, it just pushed directly on the nerve, it was like, this has got to come out, there's no no work that can be done to make this better, (laughs) it just needs to come out, and so I had it booked in the diary, and I knew there was a date coming up when my groaning would finish, that tooth that was good, was now causing me to groan, but there was a day of glory, when it would no longer be there, and despite the pain of it coming out, there's like, now I'm fine, I can slap myself on the cheek and not suddenly lie awake at night. It's, it was good. There was, there was a, I had a confidence in a date. I trusted my dentist and I knew there would come a day when the groaning would end and oh, the glory of no dodgy wisdom tooth. But if, if, do you see what I mean though? It was, a, it was a date in the diary and it was going to happen. I knew after that date, everything will be fine. It suddenly gives you a new confidence to walk through what you're going through. Paul uses a brilliant illustration here to describe exactly the same thing when it comes to childbirth verse 22 for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now it also echoes what Jesus says in the gospels about labour pains that we see around us in the earth this is a very obvious illustration about childbirth that's coming but there's pain in between but it's really helpful you have your EDD your estimated date of delivery when the baby is expected to come you know Babies don't stay in there forever, thankfully. There is going to be <laughs> thankfully, there is going to be a day when you're going to meet your baby. And there's there's just a beautiful illustration that that the pains and the groaning actually are not the symptoms of death, they're the symptoms of life. And suddenly when we flip it into that perspective, we see that the groaning on the earth, the groaning in our hearts of this isn't right, that's not symptoms of death anymore. When we have our confidence in Jesus, suddenly those are symptoms of life. That's different. There's a good day coming. There's pain, sure, to get there. But we know that estimated date of delivery, there's going to be new birth. There's going to be new life. Despite the morning sickness and then the pains of labour and the breaking of our husband's hand, because our men, us men, we do hurt during delivery as well, just so you're aware. The amount of patience when I was in the ambulances, the amount of patience, she used to grab my hand and crush it and I can't wait for the husband to turn up so I can hand, hand, hand her hand over. Oh, thank you very much. We do hurt as well, just to be fair. Um, but despite all the pains, you know there is something glorious coming. The mother's hope is not merely wishful thinking. There is a delivery day and there is a delivery day for the earth and there is a delivery day For all of God's people who place their trust in him. There's a delivery day coming when the glory is coming. New birth. Freedom. It's on the way. We can place our utter trust in it. But just before I finish. What is this glory exactly that we're we're looking at? It's described here in verse 18. It describes as the glory that is to be revealed to us. Okay. But what is this glory? Next verse. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of of the sons of God. There is a day coming when we will, re- we will receive a full reversal of what we humans have undone. There is a day coming that is tied into the rest of creation too. Not only will creation, the earth, be reborn as a new earth, this planet to the nth degree, but we who place our trust in Jesus, we get caught up into that as well. Together, as we fell with creation at the same time together we'll be reborn as well there is a day coming when we will receive this full reversal verse 21 he continues that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God so in the same way that as God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden and mankind and earth were subjected to frustration this isn't right and we can't achieve what we want to what we're intended for immediately in genesis 3 you see when god commands this judgment in the same breath he promises the opportunity for reversal he promises the messiah who's going to undo all this through jesus and so too for nature as well as much as he subjected um, nature to frustration there is an immediate expectation of complete reversal one day which we see in the book of Revelation we see our restoration and that creation are intertwined. God's people on the new earth. And this restoration on the, for the universe that we reside in is just immense because in Revelation it's not just a new earth, it's heaven and earth melded together as one. Heaven comes down to earth and God dwells once more with his people. This is available for anyone who willingly accepts God back onto the throne. After we'd rejected him, I know better. Anyone who's willing to accept him back on the throne, you're just swept up into this wonderful promise. Verse 23. He also says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, says so anyone who's placed their trust in Christ, Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you immediately. He says, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies he's talking back to a few verses earlier that David preached on last week about what it means to be adopted well verse 15 has told us we are adopted suddenly here he's telling us we're waiting for our adoption what's he talking about what he's talking about is when our adoption will be fully revealed it's, uh, it's guaranteed it's a fact you are his and it can't be undone but our full inheritance and here's the word this, that's why it's in the title our full inheritance is held in trust until we're fully able to receive it. As John was praying earlier about one day, we're going to meet him face to face and we're going to be like him. We're suddenly in a place where we receive our inheritance fully. We are his, but we haven't received our inheritance. Does that make sense? The thing about inheritance, it's either, it's either promised from birth, it's determined from birth. If you are born as the firstborn son, suddenly you are just by birth, by nature, you are promised an inheritance. Or someone can write you into their will and you're you're awarded their inheritance at their death. Both are out of relationship. One is that biological relationship, you are born and therefore you will inherit, or it's someone's personal decision. It's It's either a communal promise or it's a personal promise. I've decided to put you in my will. Either way, it's out of relationship. Inheritance comes from relationship. See, we are not intended to be mere humans. We're not intended, we're not designed to be mere spectators or even just... Participants, we are designed to be sons and daughters of God. It's about relationship again. That's what we're meant to be. It's down to us whether we accept that and welcome him as our father and as our king and as our rescuer or whether we think we know better and we want to go life our own way and suddenly live not like a son or daughter, therefore we won't be. Our future hope is secured in relationship. Our future glory is sealed by inheri- and our inheritance. And As we step into God's story, in God's rule, we become God's children, and therefore we receive that good inheritance in good time. This glory, let me just specify what this glory really is. Tim Keller, the American uh, preacher and pastor, he, he describes it like this, this is brilliant. Listen to this. A glory is coming that will be so blindingly powerful that when it falls on us, it will envelop the whole created order and glorify it along with us. We will bring nature with us into a renewed, restored, redeemed reality. Our sonship will be publicly revealed and acknowledged and we will finally and fully be conformed to the likeness of the Son. We will be as perfectly holy as Christ and as dazzlingly beautiful as he is. That's what glory is. And if you're his, you've got that coming. And suddenly when we look at the world around us and we see what, what, what just... Inwardly just makes us groan, so immediately we know it's temporary. It's not something to dismiss, it's something to be real about, but we know there is a day coming. We will be utterly released from it. Let me just say, if this whole description of children of God and adoption as sons, that is not an automatic description of humanity, as I've already referred to. We need to accept it. We need to step into his family. We need to receive his invitation. If you don't know Jesus and his saving power, you have not been swept up into this hope. Without Jesus, you are just adrift in this groaning and whatever you do to try and find happiness within it, that too will only be temporary. But one day the groaning will continue without any of the good remaining. Do you want to step into the story that heads towards glory or do you want to step, remain in the story that is still heading towards more groaning? It's, it's a choice we have to make but the good news is that Jesus he left somewhere good and he stepped into a place of groaning and he stood in our very place and he suffered the consequences of our sin personally on his shoulders the the sin that caused this mess in the first place he willingly stepped into the consequences of that and he did it in order that we might be brought home into brilliant glory with him there's the good news of Jesus right there in those three words up there. That's what he's done for us. But you need to receive it. You need to willingly receive it. Each of us has to come to a place where we recognise our own contribution to the groaning, our own staining of what is good and we need to repent and we need to turn to the one who is good and receive his mercy. Have you done that? For anyone who takes the hand of our great rescuer Jesus to walk through life with him into eternity we have a sure and certain hope a sure and certain hope that is not wishy-washy that is not wishful thinking that is guaranteed there is an estimated delivery date when we will be released from this into utter glory and now and again we can see glimpses of it as we walk with Jesus we can see glimpses of Jesus at work in us we can see some healthy changes in our character we can see how we mature and how we grow the more we're willing to listen to him and follow him and obey him we can see glimpses of it. Be encouraged. That's Holy Spirit at work in you. He's, he's a good God. He's a kind God who wants to give us, remind us of what is to come, give us a taste of what's to come. He's the guarantee of our future inheritance, Holy Spirit, and he's already at work in us, starting to tease little glimpses of what it might be like. We get to enjoy some of that now and it reminds us one day that we will receive it in full. It's guaranteed. It's all down to Jesus. One day we will be like him. One day we will be sinless. We will be perfect. We will be free from groaning forever. That's something we can trust. We will see him face to face. We will see him in glory. So is it worth it? Sometimes we think, we, we're walking through life, is like, I can't do this anymore. You ever had that thought? I can't do this anymore. Or is it worth it holding on to the promise despite what we often see around us and in us? Even creation is shouting out, yes it's worth it, yes the day is coming, yes release and rescue and freedom is coming in its full inheritance and glory and we will be there with him one day. Amen? Let me just pray.